what God really wanted me to talk about, at least start talking about, is with the blood about the blood of Jesus. And I'm like, I'm a children's pastor. I like things simple. <laughs> Probably why I like teaching kids. So I, 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 I keep things simple for me. So I went, okay, I'm going to go right to the source. What did Jesus say about communion? And this is what he said. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So what does that tell me about his blood? There's two things. There's two parts of it. There's the new covenant, which we'll talk about covenants, and there's the remission of sin. So we're going to talk about the remission of sin first. And <clears throat> remission... I'm like, okay, that's a big word. You know, like I said, I teach kids. That's a big word for me. What does remission mean? And it means forgiveness and repaying someone for an obligation or a debt. So Jesus forgave us. He paid the debt for our sins. That's what he did. And in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. That's where sin leads every time. It always leads to death. And fortunately, when you're born again, you're never eternally dead again. You get to, to share with Jesus. But it can still lead to death in your circumstances in your life because it opens a door for the devil to come in and kick you around a little bit, sometimes a lot. You know, so we don't want we don't want that. We don't want that at all. And then um, in Romans three twenty three, it says, "All have sinned and fallen short." So this is a human condition that we all share. Every one of us has sin. Every one of us was born in sin, thanks to Adam and Eve. You know. <laughs> You know, but, but that's, that's the truth. That's, that's where we are. And Jesus came, and it says, God sent him forth as a propitiation. Okay, so here's another big word, by his blood. Well, what does that word mean? I looked that one up. That means redemption and deliverance. Okay, I get that. I understand that. So in Ephesians 1, 7, it says, in him... We have redemption through his blood. Amen. He bought us back. The forgiveness of sins according to the richness of his grace. Thank God for that grace. Thank God for that grace. I, I, don't, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that grace. I can tell you that right now. With the life I was living, there's no way. I had chosen... I had chosen that I was going to die. I had decided that. And the grace of God rescued me from that condition. He rescued me out of that mindset. And now I have life. And as Jesus said, he came to give us life more abundantly. And that's what I have. Thank you, Jesus. In Colossians 1, it says he has delivered or rescued us from the power of darkness. There's a kingdom of darkness. There's a kingdom of God. Before we're born again, 
We're smack in the kingdom of darkness under all of its regulations and rules and pain and death and all the evil. We're just fair game at that point. And Jesus came and it says he rescued us. He rescued us. When I was a little girl, I used to like to read fairy tales and the prince would always come and rescue the princess, right? Isn't that what that was all about? When I read this, and then there was a translation that said the word rescued, it was like, I get it. I understand that picture. <laughs> I know what it's like for the knight in shining armor to come and rescue somebody. And I'm a princess now. I'm royalty. That's what the Bible says. It says we're royalty. And so he rescued us and conveyed us or translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. See, it's all about love. It's always, always about love. Every time, it always comes back to love. And it starts with the love of God. We love him. Why? Because he loved us first. It always comes back to love. In whom we have redemption through his blood. There it is again. Redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. I love walking around knowing every sin that I've ever committed, ever will commit, has all been wiped away under the blood. It's all gone. I don't have to carry it with me anymore. I don't have to carry the weight of it. I don't have to carry the condemnation of it. The accuser that's up there saying, but you did this. In, it comes in here. He says, you did this. What about this? Oh, you should have done that, but you didn't. Uh, I don't know. It's all under the blood. The blood has washed it all away. The other part, and this is where I'll probably spend most of my, well, I will spend most of my time, is talking about the new covenant. Jesus said his blood of the new covenant. So we're going to talk a little bit about covenant, what it is, and then we'll take it from there. Most Americans do not understand, do not really have a clear understanding of the blood covenant or what that really means. There are a lot of cultures in other countries that really get it, but we have not been taught that so we don't get it. We've heard a little bit about it, like the Native Americans with the blood brother concept. We hear a little bit of it here and there, but we really don't understand the blood covenant. So I want to explain it a little bit before we go on from, from here. And said, <clears throat> so the blood covenant is something that's permanent. It's something that's eternal. It's between two people, typically. And there are a set of formal rules and steps that a person goes through to enter into a blood covenant. It's something very, very consciously. But basically what it says is everything you have is mine and everything I have is yours. That's really what a covenant is. Everything you have. So if we're in a covenant with God, what does that mean? We're in a covenant. Jesus is the new covenant. When we get born again, we enter into that new covenant. That means everything Jesus has is ours. Yes. 
everything. And everything we have is his. I think he got the short end of that deal. <laughs> That's what I think, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> so when we talk about covenant, there's some there's certain steps in this. Um, one thing to know is that the covenant cannot be broken. Amen. It cannot be broken. You don't have, once you enter into a formal blood covenant, you don't have the option to change your mind. It's not something that happens. So God's not going to change his mind. Jesus offered this covenant to us. He is not going to change his mind. He's not going to say, you know, I think I screwed up. I, I shouldn't have let you in. You're too big a screw-up. That's right. That's right. That's not God. God is love. Who would say those kind of words? The enemy. The enemy. When those words come, tell them to shut up. <laughs> I know my grandkids say, Grandma, you're not supposed to say shut up. Well, you know what? Sometimes you just got to tell the devil to shut up. He doesn't have any manners. I don't need to have manners with him. <laughs> so, you know, that's the way it goes. And what they exchange, literally, they not only exchange their goods, but they exchange their life. And they become your backup forever. What this, one of the, the ways this is used, and we've seen this in the Bible, is when somebody goes to war, the people that are in covenant with them will join them in that battle and stand with them in that battle. I come from a large family. I'm the oldest of eight. And I kind of have an idea what this looks like because we could, I have, I'm the oldest. So I could kind of like pick on and beat up my little brother every so often just for the fun of it because he was annoying. He was just annoying. <laughs> but you know, <clears throat> let somebody outside yeah. the family come That's after right. him. All of a sudden, they had the big sister, the big brothers, they had all of us there. They weren't just taking on my little brother. They took us all on. It was all of us. That's what the covenant backup looks like. That's what God does for us. Yes. When we're standing in battle, the battle isn't with us. When the enemy comes after us to kill, steal, and destroy, he's not coming after us. Who is he going to face? He faces Jesus. Yes. He can't win. He already knows that. He's already been beat up. He already lost. So he knows that. So we did the covenant thing. and So one of the things, so we're going to go through the steps of, and, and this is in, in the Jewish nation, this was how they learned to do covenants, and that was the culture at the time. You would take off your coat or your robe and give it to the other person. That's symbolic of 
sharing your portion with them. And then you would take off your belt and give it to the other person. And these both sides were doing this for each other. And that the belt symbolized your strength and ability. So you're saying, all my strength, whatever I have, is yours. And whatever you have is mine. It's something we do together. And then they would cut the covenant. And this was typically a formal process. And then they would, here's where the blood comes in, they would raise their right arm and they would cut and they would sh smear the blood with each other. They would share the blood with each other. And, and when you think of the, the blood brother situation, that's one of the symbols of all of that. And the, the life is in the blood. So we're saying, my life is yours. I will die for you. Well, Jesus said it, and then he did it. He wasn't just talking smoke. He wasn't just blowing smoke at us when he said, I will give my life. He actually went and did it. And he did it beyond, above and beyond anything we could ever imagine. What a horrific death that he went through. It's really hard for me to even think about it when I think about everything he suffered and went through for us. And he loved us so much. The Bible says he could have opened his mouth and 10,000 angels would have come and ministered to him and rescued him. So he had to keep those lips sealed. I'm kind of a crybaby sometimes, and I don't know that I could have, I know I couldn't have kept my lips sealed in all of that. There's no way I could have done that. But he did it. What an amazing man. What an amazing God we serve. So then with the blood running together, we get a scar. There's a scar, and that scar is a reminder of everything that we just committed ourselves to. It says, Jesus, when Thomas, remember Thomas? He says, well, I need to see the scar on your side. I need to see the holes in your hands. There's the scars of the covenant. Thomas saw them. Someday we'll see them yes. face to face. We will. And then they sit down and eat a meal. And the meal is typically bread and wine. Does that remind you of? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Communion. And the bread symbolizes our flesh, and the wine symbolizes our blood. So that's, that's the covenant. And then many times they'll plant a memorial, something like a tree, something that's going to last a long, long time to help them remember. So I have a story here. In 1869, the New York Herald newspaper sent their correspondent, Henry Stanley, to Africa in hopes that he could find his Scottish missionary and explorer, Dr. David Livingstone. This is real. This is a true story. This isn't fiction here. Dr. Livingstone had not been heard from for six years, and Stanley was sent to prove that he was still alive. After more than a year of searching for him, Stanley finally found him in 1871. 
So during his expedition, Stanley came in contact with a powerful African tribe, but he was in no condition to fight them. When his interpreter suggested he make a covenant with the tribal chief, Stanley agreed and spent several days of negotiations with the chief. They wanted to know, this is serious stuff, so let's negotiate. What are you going to get out of it? What am I going to get out of it? And so they did the negotiation. The chief ins insisted that he be given Stanley's goat in exchange for his seven-foot spear. Now, even though Stanley needed the goat's milk for health reasons, he really had no choice. <laughs> but to yield to the chief's demand because this guy was more powerful than him. He personally could not see what use a seven-foot spear would be to him, but he would realize its value later on. Next in the ceremony, the tribal priest brought a cup of wine. The old chief selected one of his sons and required Stanley to choose an Englishman. These two men became representatives for the covenant makers. The priest made a cut in each man's wrist and they let their blood drip into the cup of wine. Okay, this is kind of gross. The cup was stirred and each man took a drink from it. Oh. I, can, can, I can tell you, because I did the communion myself, there is no real blood in the communion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Hallelujah. Yeah. I know, yeah. The cup was stirred and each of them took a drink from it. The, the priest pronounced terrible curses over Stanley and Stanley's interpreter spoke terrible curses over the chief. These curses would come upon anyone who broke the covenant. Finally, the two men rubbed their wrists together along with some gunpowder to ensure that there would be a noticeable scar and a noticeable mark. This act not only bound Stanley and the chief together, but included all of the tribal warriors because the chief was the head honcho. So when he committed himself, he committed his whole tribe. And then they planted the tree. Stanley no longer had to be concerned about this tribe stealing his belongings. Nobody was gonna mess with that covenant with the chief. So he was considered off limits from that point on. Anybody caught violating the covenant from that tribe and stealing belongings would be penalized with death. That was, that was the price for violating the covenant. So then as Stanley continued his travels in Africa, the spear proved to be more powerful than that goat. Remember the spear? That spear carried the chief's authority, and everybody who saw it bowed and submitted to Stanley because of what that spear represented. We talk about everything bowing before Jesus, and we'll actually talk about that a little more in a few minutes. Blood covenant was a very sacred thing in Africa, and it was something that they really understood. Well, throughout his travels in Africa, 
Stanley ended up cutting Covenant 50 times with various chiefs. He was a well-protected man. <laughs> Anytime he would encounter an unfriendly tribe, all he had to do was hold up his arm. And they would see the scars, see the covenants, and they went, okay, we're not messing with you. We understand. This is dangerous. We're not going to do this. And so this was, he did it, like I said, he did eventually find Mr. Livingstone. But that's an example, a real-life example of the power of covenant. And that's just a human covenant. Just imagine the power that is available to us in a covenant with God himself. God who created the universe. You know, I, I saw an example of that one time. <clears throat> this is when I was in the world, but it really made me sit up and take notice. I lived on a second floor in a, in a condo and overlooking the balcony was the little pool that they had for the complex that I lived in. And there was a lightning storm one day and it hit one of the balconies on the other side of our building. The lightning was close. Well, what I saw was that lightning hit the pool. Instantly, with the blink of an eye, that entire pool of water turned into a full churning boil. That was the power of the lightning. And all I could think of is, boy, the guy who made that lightning is really powerful. <laughs> I don't think I really want to mess with him at all. So one of the things that they also did in covenants is they exchanged names. We see that in weddings a lot of times. The bride will take the groom's last name. And names are really important. They're really important. My granddaughter, when she was born, was born with a heart murmur. On a scale of one to five, where five is the worst, she had a five. She was told by the time she was two, she would require open heart surgery to repair that heart murmur. Her name is Megan. What I found out years later is Megan means strong of heart. Every time we said her name, we were declaring her heart is strong. At a year old, she went in to see the cardiologist. The murmur was now a two. Six months later, she went. The murmur was gone. They have looked for it. She has had several cardiology appointments because the doctors and her mother have a really hard time believing it just fixed itself. Well, it didn't. God healed it. <laughs> but her heart is strong and healthy. She is now in her mid-twenties and a healthy, strong woman. Megan, strong in heart. The power of a name. The power of a name. We have a more powerful name than that that we get to use. We get to use the name of Jesus. When you get a covenant in Genesis 17:5, God in, in chapter 17 of Genesis, God is cutting a covenant with Abraham, 
And one of the things he did with Abraham is he changed his name. He exchanged his name. And he says, you'll no longer be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. And the H-A was a common term for God in those days. So they exchanged names. So he got God's name. Well, Jesus has given us his name. And with his name, we also get the authority. The hot name of Jesus is the highest name of all. It says in Philippians, because Jesus went to the cross, it says, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. I think that pretty much covers everything. Don't you think? Everywhere, everything, yes. above, current, below, everything. Well, I'm not a big fan of the doctors. And when I have something wrong, I go to the doctor, but not because I'm looking for him to fix it. It's because I want to know what the name is. Yes. <laughs> Give me the name of that thing that's bothering me and pestering me. Because that name has to bow to the yes. name of Jesus. It has to bow. And I have done that many times. And, you know, many times. And, and yes, you know, there's times when the doctor has really good advice and really good medicine that he wants you to use. And I'd be a fool not to take advantage of that and all that education and training. And I will do that. But I don't do that just with my faith in that medicine or whatever it is. I do that because that name has to bow to the name of Jesus. If something has a name, it's got to bow. It's got to bow. It has to. It has to. I think last time I was here, I was having problems with my right leg. And they were having a lot of spasms and pain, and it was, it was actually giving out on me, and I couldn't stand on it. And... <clears throat> The Lord gave Cheryl, through the Holy Spirit, he gave her the, the unction to minister to my leg. Well, you can see my leg is fine. I've been standing on it up here. I haven't fallen down. You know, I get up from the couch. I don't hit the floor anymore. You know, that's really good. There's no pain. I can sleep through the night. No more pain. I did go to the doctor. They couldn't tell me what was wrong. It doesn't matter because Jesus is stronger than anything. And so I, I just said, well, okay, Lord, we don't have a name, but here's what's happening. <laughs> so in Matthew 28:18, actually, we're going to go, we're going to start before that. In Luke, he called his 12 disciples together, and he said, I have authority, and I'm going to give you my authority over demons and to cure diseases. And those 12 went out and did just that, because they had authority. Farther down in Luke, 
Jesus appointed 70 others to do the same thing. It says, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. All the power. These people weren't even born again yet because Jesus was still walking on the earth. But he gave them his authority. And when he gives his authority, he doesn't take it back. He doesn't take it back. So then, after he had risen from the dead, Jesus came and spoke to his disciples, saying, these were the last words that are recorded in the book of Matthew from Jesus. It says, all authority has been given to me, both in heaven and on earth. So God gave Jesus all the authority. That's what the Bible teaches. Then Jesus took all that authority and said, here, you can have it. We're in covenant. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. Here's the authority. And the authority is to be used to go and make disciples. And then the Bible also talks about how we're gonna, we have the authority to lay hands on the sick and heal. And, and, and you know what? And he doesn't care how old you are. He doesn't care. A three-year-old who's born again has the same power in anointing as an adult. Yes. Yes. They have the anointing to heal. They don't necessarily have it up in their head, but they have the anointing. They don't, anointing doesn't come from your head. It comes from your heart. It's not something that comes from the head. I can remember one night I was taking my grandsons to church, and I don't normally get headaches, but I had a really bad headache that night, and I was a crabby, crabby grandma, very crabby grandma. We got inside the church doors, and the kids were getting ready to run off. <laughs> they couldn't wait to get away from me and get to class. <laughs> All right, wait, 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 before you go. My little grandson was three or four at the time. I said, because I'm like, God, what, what do I do? He says, have your grandkids, have your grandson lay hands on you. So I'm like, Andrew, come back here. He said, I need you to help. I need you to do grandma a favor. I need you to put your hands on me so my headache can be healed. He didn't know what to say. He didn't say anything. I think he said Jesus, which is about all he could really get out. He put his hand on me and put his hand on my leg. Didn't even touch my head. And my head was what was hurting, right? But he's a little kid. He couldn't reach my head. So he touches my leg. And he says, Jesus, instantly. No headache. No pain. I'm like, thank you, sweetheart. I really love you. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. I really love you. All he knew was like, oh, Grandma said to do this. Okay, I'll do it. It's the name of Jesus. It's the authority of Jesus. Don't need to be a rocket scientist. I used to work with one of them. Make it out, thank you. Something fierce. Yeah. 
figure out what are they talking about a whole bunch of these numbers. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, you just have to believe. That's all. I got saved there. In Revelation 12, 11, this, this is a scripture that comes right after talking about how the accuser stands before God 24-7, accusing us with all those mistakes and things that we've done or not done. And immediately the Bible says, and they, those are the people that are getting accused, and they overcame him who is the accuser of the brethren by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So it's really important to share testimonies with each other. When God does things on your behalf, it's really important because that really helps. It builds each other up and it'll really help all of us when we do that. And the blood of the lamb as we sang, it is powerful. Nothing is more powerful than the blood of the Lamb. Nothing is more powerful than that.